The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. What's good, everybody, and welcome to Sports Talk New York here on Long Island's WGBB. I'm Andy Sugrove. I'll be your host tonight on this Sunday evening, April 17, 2022. Happy Easter to all. Happy Passover to all. Only six more days to go. Thank God. On the show tonight, we have NYJ Mike from the Broadway Jets podcast and Xavier McDaniel, Knicks, Sonics, NBA great. We'll get to talk to him. But before we begin, I want to remind everyone that you can follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You can also visit our website at WGBBSportsTalk.com, where you can listen to all the past shows and check out any upcoming show information. Lastly, if you don't already, we invite you to subscribe to the podcast WGBB Sports Talk New York on iTunes, Spotify, or pretty much anywhere you get to your podcast. Now that we got the house cleaning out of the way, always got to shout out my man Brian Graves behind the glass. Brian, how are we doing tonight? Got the thumbs up with Brian. We are ready to rock. And talking, thinking about ready to rock, the NFL draft is just about here, eleven days away, and we're gonna we're gonna bring that up with a good friend of mine. I've uh, been on his show, and now we're bringing him on for the first time. Uh, NYJ Mike from the Broadway Jazz Podcast. Mike, how are you tonight? I'm doing well, Andy. Thanks for having me, buddy. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to the draft. It can't come soon enough. You know, we hear the same takes over and over again for the last couple of uh, weeks. It's about time to get it going, and. Uh, Let's, you know, welcome those new players onto our Jets. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of that, we do have some, we do already have some new guys. Free agency started up in March. Jets, maybe they didn't get the big fish, but they got the, they got the blue fish that you can keep and you cook them up and they taste pretty good. Guys like Lake and Tomlinson, CJ Uzama, Tyler Conklin, you know, Jordan Whitehead. What, what are your thoughts on the Jets on how they did in free agency? Right, I did want Joe Douglas to make a big splash and uh, excite the fan base and get Zach Wilson maybe a you know a number true number one receiver. And by all accounts, Joe Douglas did try to do it. He went after Tyree Kill. Uh, Tyreek wanted to go play in South Beach instead of coming up to MetLife. So, you know, so be it. Good luck with Jordan Whitehead coming over the middle of Mr. Tyreek Hill. Anyway, though, I like what Joe Douglas did. He gave the Jets a lot of flexibility heading into the draft. Before, you know, before free agency started a couple months ago, you would have said, what are the Jets going to do at 4-10? and 10? Oh, they have so many holes. They have they have to plug this spot, that spot. You can't take this certain position because the Jets have nine different needs. But now, Joe Douglas went out. He got the left guard, like you mentioned, Lake and Tomlinson, so you don't have to go tackle uh, or offensive lineman number four. He went out and he got DJ Reed. So now you have your, you know, quote-unquote number one corner to go with Eccles and Hall. He went out and he got two safeties, LaMarcus Joyner and Jordan Whitehead. Uh, he got the two tight ends. So now the Jets could take a step back and they could do whatever they want. If Joe Douglas loves one of these offensive linemen, you do it. If Thibodeau was there at four, you take him. If Joe Douglas wants to go crazy and take Sauce Gardner, take him. Whatever works because he set himself up in this position, and, and that's a, a good job by the GM. So what – of the, all the moves that they made in free agency, what what has been your favorite move? That even though we haven't seen them on the field yet in jet uniforms, which one do you think is going to pay pay the most dividends? You know what I really liked? I liked the Jordan Whitehead move the best. You gave him seven million dollars. 
He's a legitimate starting safety. It reminds, I was talking about this, I run a, Andrew was mentioning the Broadway Jets podcast, and my buddy NYJ Matt and myself were talking about this off the air. We said it reminds us a lot of 2012 when the Jets got LaRon Landry and Jeremiah Bell to play safety. Not the sexiest group, but uh, one guy is going to smash you right in your mouth, The other, which would be LaRon Landry in this comparison, who made the Pro Bowl in his one season with the Jets, and that's Jordan Whitehead. And then the other guy is a solid veteran, LaMarcus Joyner. The Jets liked him enough last year to bring him in to start. I'm very happy with them bringing him back. They could always add in the draft, too. This is a deep safety class. So I really like that move. I thought everything he did was very solid. The two tight ends as well. Uh, the two guys combined for over 100 catches. The Jets tight ends have been averaging 42 catches per uh, in total. All the Jets tight ends for the last three years have been averaging 42 catches. So both guys, Conklin and Uzama, beat that number last year. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they could do in this offense. And we're talking with NYJ Mike from the Broadway Jets podcast. And in addition to the Jets making moves, we have saw just a flurry of insanity from, like, March 15th through March 25th, where it seemed like everybody was making some show-stopping move, especially in the AFC in terms of the quarterback's arms race, where we saw we saw a lot of moves. You saw Deshaun Watson go to the Browns. You saw Russell Wilson go to the Broncos. You saw Matt Ryan go to the Colts. How did like which move? Which move shocked you the most of all those all the quarterbacks moving? Um, it's a very interesting question. I mean, the Russell Wilson thing I think is very underrated because they have the skill guys in place. I mean, you look at a Jerry Judy, Tim Patrick. Uh, you know, they have uh, Devontae Williams. They have a solid offensive line in place. Their defense has been traditionally good. That division is going to obviously be insane. The Deshaun Watson stuff is frustrating as a Jets fan. You know, you look at. Uh, you know, again, you want these good quarterbacks to just get out of the conference. But, you know, either the Texans or the Browns would be good with him. So, you know, you figure you don't lose too much there uh, in terms of the standings going forward, you know, just on the most macro view of this whole situation. And, but I, I personally love the Matt Ryan fit uh, with the Colts. I thought Carson Wentz did a pretty good job. You know, I don't know what they wanted from him. The guy is 27 touchdowns, 7 picks, you know, quarterback rating around 100, and then they ship him away. You bring in a guy like Matt Ryan who could do something similar. They have that run game. Obviously, they got offensive line. They just brought in Stephon Gilmore. So, of course, the AST is just absolutely loaded. The Jets need Zach Wilson to be that guy if they're going to compete within the next couple of years. The silver lining to that is you've seen all this quarterback movement. If Zach Wilson is not the guy, you know, maybe the Jets could pivot quickly where some of these teams have. And with that, we saw the Jets' defense was among one of the worst units in the league last year. Now that all these all these quarterbacks are in the league or in the conference and the Jets are going to have to face pretty much all of them this season, how does the Jets' defense adapt to that? You hope first you hope that Deshaun Watson you play the Browns early in the season. <laughs> you have to play him. That's true. Uh he'll be, he'll be suspended for his excursions off the field. Um no, it's gonna be tough and it was interesting because two years ago the Jets went into the offseason with Bryce Hall, who was a rookie. They had Javelin Gidry, who was an undrafted free agent, and that's it. That was their cornerback room. And the fans said, well, the Jets need to upgrade at corner, or, you know, if the defense has a poor year, especially in pass coverage, they're going to be frustrating. Joe Douglas essentially didn't do anything. You know, he, he drafted a bunch of guys in, in the late rounds, and it looks like there are some uh, potential guys, Michael Carter uh, and, and Brandon Eccles. So, you know, I'm not saying to discourage Joe Douglas or disparage him, but it was a little bit frustrating, and then the pass defense 
you know, predictably struggled. This year, it's going to be tough again, like you said, this crazy schedule. But what's going to have to be the difference is Carl Lawson's going to be back, and you hope you draft Edge at number four. If the Jets have Carl Lawson and Kayvon Thibodeau coming off the edge, and then you bolster up that secondary with DJ Reed and those two safeties that we talked about, maybe you have a chance, you know? Maybe. And now we'll we'll pivot to the draft. You know, it starts on Thursday or next Thursday, uh, twenty eighth. And I I think that what especially in the off season, people have a lot of time on their hands, and it's like, what's this team going to do? What what are they going to do? Who's going to get traded? So we've seen a million mock drafts, a million different answers to who's going to do what. The Jets have two picks in the top ten. One being one being their own, and the one that Jamal Adams was so generous to bring them. <laughs> Thank you, Jamal. What do you want to see happen with those two picks? Personally, my initial best case scenario. This was before Sauce Gardner gained more hype. I wanted to go all defense, and I would take if Thibodeau's there for. I'm taking Thibodeau. I don't want to take Trayvon Walker or Jermaine Johnson or any of the other guys that skyrocket up the board. If the like. Thibodeau was always the guy. I made the comparison on our podcast. It's like a beautiful girl in high school really liked you. A beautiful girl in high school, you, you weren't sure you, you could ever talk to her. The Jets, they beat the Jaguars uh, in December, and you said, oh, man, there goes our chance to draft Thibodeau or Hutchinson. Now, all of a sudden, this beautiful girl you used to like in high school, she's all about you. She wants to come hang out with you, and you're going to throw her onto the curb. If I'm the Jets, I'll take him in a heartbeat if Thibodeau's there for. You hear all these things about his character, how much does he like to get football. I haven't seen any iota of evidence uh, to prove that. So I will draft that maniac if the Jets have a chance um, at number four. And then at 10, I would have loved to take Gardner, but, uh, you know, it seems like the consensus is to go receiver. I don't think the Jets need a receiver as much as most people do. You know, Elijah Moore is a 1A, and Corey Davis is your 1B. You know, the guys need to stay healthy. The Jets definitely need some depth. But for to, and, and if the Jets take a receiver, I'm happy with it. But to say it's a huge need, I don't know. You have two real guys already at the position. I think it's similarly uh, similar as much of a need as, a, as corner, for example, or middle linebacker, where you have a guy like C.J. Mosley or you have a guy like D.J. Reed, but you still need to bolster the position. So I think they probably will end up taking Thibodeau and, like, Garrett Wilson. But if I were the Jets, I probably would double dip on defense. Uh, maybe if Kyle Hamilton's there at 10 and you think you could draft a Hall of Fame kind of player uh, in a weird spot, you do that. Or you trade down, you take a Linderbaum. Um, there's a lot of things the Jets could do, I think, at, uh, in that second spot. Yeah, I had, I had DJ Biennemi on my show last month and like he, he's been, he's been very big on Drake London for a while. Is that, is that someone yeah. you, you would be, you'd be okay with if the, if the Jets took him at 10? Look, hey, because look, he, he's the Mike Evans comp, and it's interesting. Each of these guys in the draft seems like they're some specific niche kind of guy. Drake London's going to go up and get those contested balls. He just came out and said he's not going to run the 40-time in USC's Pro Day, which is probably smart. Um, you know, like Matt Ryan or Andrew Luck didn't participate in the combine. Um, yeah, look, so if they just take London or Burks or Jameson Williams or Garrett Wilson, I think it's fine if they really, really love that guy. But on that token, if the Jets could trade back to, like, 15 or something with the Eagles or, or 13 with the Texans or something else, if they don't love one of these guys, I think it makes sense. You don't have to follow the blueprint of the NFL. You know, like, the, the Bengals picked Jamar Chase last year, so now everyone thinks they have to draft the receiver in the first round. 
there's a reason it historically wasn't like that because there's so many good receivers and it depends on your fit and the scheme and yada, yada, yada. So if the Jets do love one of these guys at 10, I'm all about taking them and I think it'll be exciting. But if not, don't push the envelope to draft a receiver when there's five guys who no one knows who's better than the other one. We're talking with NYJ Mike from the Broadway Jets podcast. Let, let's talk, let's talk about that podcast a little bit. You guys have been at it now for a couple of years. Uh, what, what brought you, what brought you to it? Yeah. So the, in the early days of the pandemic, I, I, you know, my buddy Matt and I have been best friends for years. We're a terrific Jet fans. He decided to make a, a burner Twitter account to talk about the Jets. And, you know, he, he has some good taste. He wants to, you know, make people laugh and, and bring up some old highlights and talk about, you know, like if you're at a tailgate talking about a football game, you have all these great memories in your, in your mind and you're just shooting the, shooting the breeze with, with your fellow Jet fans and it's awesome. And that's what Twitter is. So he started a Twitter account and then I made mine a couple months later. So he's NYJ Matt. I'm NYJ Mike. We decided to make a podcast. The podcast is the Broadway Jets podcast, like Andy keeps referencing. And I appreciate it. And, you know, we just have a ton of fun. We'll have on some good guests. Uh, like DJ Bienemy has been on our podcast, of course. Andy's been on our podcast, and we got some of the B writers and some old players, and just ask them ridiculous hypothetical questions. Uh, like we'll bring on—I'll give you an example. We brought on Connor Hughes, and we asked him if he was the quarterback of a team that had the best player of every single position. What would the team's record be? And Connor comes down and goes, "Oh, I'll go 0 and 17, whatever." And it's, you know, it's fun. So we have a a good time. We talk some current events, some old Jet stuff, and, and have a blast with it. So when it comes to the offseason, do you guys find it difficult to find content to put out your episodes, or do you just find ways to make it happen? No, you could. I mean, we it's just tough. You know, you have work, and we have different day jobs, and and they're, you know, pretty extensive. So anytime we have on the side, we just hop on. And, you know, instead of what I'll do, what we've been doing for the last 15 years, you know, after – we would get out of school, I'll FaceTime, and we talk Jets, we talk life, whatever. Instead of doing that, we just hop on the podcast. And, uh, you know, it's just pretty natural. But, yeah, I mean, to your point, it's definitely easier during the season, Monday after a game. You know, hey, let's break down the game. Let's, you know, talk about how the boys are doing. <laughs> it does become a bit of a, a a sluggish time right around now, after the free agency, after the most of the offseason, right before the draft, you know. You know. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure after the draft, it's like, okay, well, now nothing happens until training camp in August. Yeah, you get some OTAs. You know, hopefully Zach Wilson goes and travels the country and throws the ball to more guys so we have more content. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we, we have seen him doing that the last couple of weeks. We've seen him go down to Florida, work with Braxton Berrios. We've seen him go out to Arizona and go golfing with Steve Young, which I'll, I'll admit I'm a little jealous of. But you know, like we we see him get out and around and and work with his receivers, and like how important is that to you? Seeing that, knowing that he needs to make that jump. Well, it's good because you know, even though during the draft process, it seemed like the quote unquote character concerns with Zach were a little bit ridiculous. You know, the, the garage and his mom and all this nonsense. It's good to see him disprove all that stuff. So Zach has said all the right things. He's been extremely mature. He got, he played better on the field in the second half of last year. He's doing all the right things, and that's all you can ask for him. Hopefully the on-field success follows, uh, but to see him like where Sanchez used to go do Jets West, and you know, even Darnold before him did the same thing, 
to see Zach get out there and throw the ball with his guys and get people fired up again about Denzel Mims. It's just, it's just all good things with Zach, and I'm, I've been very, very impressed with the way that he's handled himself. As am I, and like I said, like watching him golf with Steve Young, he just gave me the year to get back out there. I went and played Beth Page today. Probably not as good a golfer as he is. Are you sure anything good? Um, depends on what you consider good. If it's over, if, it's, <laughs> if you consider under 100 good, which it is, then I did not do well. Yeah, Yeah, but I only lost like three or four balls, so I'm happy. That's a, that's a light, simple, simple guy. Yeah. So, any, any, <laughs> any thoughts of doing spinoff episodes of non-Jets material on your show? Yeah, I mean, you know, we always, I'm a huge, huge Mets fan. I don't know if we did it when, when you came on my show, my ridiculous baseball trick where if you give me, you think of a player, you give me a year, home runs, RBIs, and batting average, I can tell you the guy. I don't know if we did that. It's I, a very fun trick. I, 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 I think we did. And I, I, I remember my, at one point, I, I think I gave you like, like a Danny Hatchavaria, and you you got in like within like thirty two seconds. I I think my jaw actually went through my table. <laughs> yeah, so I'm a big Mets fan on the side, and try to watch every single game. And the Mets look good, seven and three, and Bassett looks like a, a killer. And you know, obviously without the Grom, McGill and Peterson have held their own. So the Mets, but but Bob Nightingale tweeted that the Mets are on fire today. So. That's about to uh, go the other way. If history repeats itself, as long as, long as Mike Francesa don't do it, you're, then you're you're still okay. <laughs> Francesa, dude, Francesa. I remember in uh, 2014, the Jets were one and seven, and Sammy Watkins was on the Bills at this point and had like 190 yards against the Jets. Geno threw three picks in the first quarter. It was a whole disaster, and Francesa just went on the absolute best anti-Jets rant, and ah. Uh, just one of the he has so many classic moments like one of my favorite Francesca Jets moments just him going nuts he can't handle it hmm. but now let, let, let's uh, transition over to the Mets you know I I can't really talk about the Yankees they lost to the Orioles today because they're <laughs> like they, they can't get out of their own way you know, like you said they are 7-3 like even though they are pitching well does not DeGrom not pitching yet does that concern you at all or Absolutely concerns me. I think the Grom is going to come back and, and quiet all of the concerns because if you really take a step back and look, obviously last year was frustrating in the sense that he's seven and two, he's got a 108 ERA, and then there's just all these little nagging, weird injuries. And if the Mets aren't going to shut him down and give him surgery, then he's got to come back, obviously, and pitch baseball games. So it doesn't happen. Going to spring training, everyone's like, all right, Mets didn't give him surgery. You know, he's got a pitch. Looks great in spring. Uh, right before the season, he's out. You know, now he's out for at least a month, probably two months. So it's definitely frustrating. But at some point, either he's got a pitch or just gets shut down for two years. So I, I think he's going to come back and pitch. The lineup, I think, is unbelievably underrated. Because you look at last year, McNeil. Batted 319 from 2019 to, or 2018 to 2020. He bats 251 last year. Lindor, top five in the MVP three times. He bats, he's 20 and 60 and 230. James McCann, his last 500 at bats, he was 25 and 80 and 270. Last year he's 10 and 40 and 230. Dom Smith, the two years before, including, you know, 2019 and 2020, 
25 and 85 and 280. He was, you know, he led the league in doubles during the, the COVID shortened season. Last year, 11 and 58 and 240. So every single guy in the team underperforms. You have to think that there's some kind of correction. And everybody looks good. Alonzo's smoking the ball. Lindor looks terrific. Uh, the newcomers in order, Escobar and Marte look fantastic. And what kind of, and your benches, JD Davis and Dom Smith is unbelievable. So I'm very, very high on this Mets team. I really like the way it was built. I think they're probably going to need to add someone in the bullpen at some point. Um, but I trust in Seth Lugo, even though he's been bad so far. Uh, I, I'm ecstatic with where the Mets are at. And then look at the starting pitching depth, Andy. We finally, you know, guy goes down, out. It's not Corey Oswald pitching. It's, you know, Tyler McGill, who's been unbelievable. So all good things so far. And, of course, Buck. Yeah, I, I, I kind of wanted the Yankees to fire Boone last year and bring in Buck Showalter again. I, I thought that was a home run signing for the Mets to bring him on as the manager. You know, it, it's, it, it's, it's a, he's a guy who knows some of the analytics stuff, but still has that respect and command of in-game decisions where it's not like, oh, the book says take this guy out after, after 22 pitches, like let him go. Right. It's frustrating all across baseball. And I know they're doing it partially because of the shortened spring training, but man, guys had to pitch more than four innings. It's getting ridiculous. You have a regular starter. It used to be a guy, if your fifth starter throws 180 innings, now he goes 142 innings, which is, you know, like less than five innings per start is, is frustrating to see. Uh, like, I get the Kershaw stuff, you know, he's hurt and he's coming back, and, you know, the guy has 80 pitches in a perfect game. You want to see him pitch. Um, but I do get it. Also, the Yankee fans, man, like, a lot of my friends, the Yankee fans, they hate Aaron Boone. And I get it. They have reasons why. Like, I'm not going to curse them. I never loved Todd Bowles, for example. And it just had success in 2015. And, uh, you know, I'm not cursing him during this. But, uh, so, you know, I would, I understand people complain even though the guy has some success. But it's funny. You look up and Aaron Boone, I think, has the best winning percentage in the history of baseball of any manager. Uh, so, <laughs> the Yankee fans are not happy. Yeah. But, you know, it's been tough. Not going far in the playoffs. I mean, like I'll readily admit, I was a Bulls guy, and it took me up until that. It took me up until the Baker Mayfield game to realize that he wasn't it. And that, yeah, that, I mean, like you can only punt down two scores on like the forty-eight yard line so many times in the fourth quarter before I want to vomit. <laughs> you know, and too many Bulls was not the best in game manager, but he was the play. They played hard, and you got to give him credit too for twenty. Uh, 2017, which was the year the Jets were supposed to essentially go 0 and 16, and you know, quote unquote, suck for Sam. And then the Jets came out three and two, and then the Safarian Jenkins game followed, where poor uh, our friend Carl from Kirby Enthusiasm died because of that game. Shout out to Carl. <laughs> poor Carl. The Jets killed Carl. <laughs> did Did you watch the USFL last night? I saw some highlights. It looked pretty good. The action was 28-24. I saw Paxton Lynch was also throwing picks today, but I was watching the, uh, watching the Mets today. I was watching some basketball. A lot of sports. It's great. Yeah. April, April's a fun time because everything is happening. You have the start of baseball season. You got the basketball playoffs, the hockey playoffs starting in two weeks and then the NFL and the, and the NFL draft. Like you have, you're, you have the pick of the litter of any, of anything you want. Like, like, so, like some people want to say March is a great sports month. I, I say April is. I think that's. My, I think that might be my favorite month, just because there's everything you can go with. Yeah, and once you're right, once baseball comes back, that just kicks things into another gear. 
Is the game every second? Uh, baseball season really is magical. I'm a big fantasy baseball player also, so always something to do. You know, I, my productivity at work goes down a little bit from, you know, from April to September. But, you know, they understand that. And then in the winter, I'm back. Once the season ends, I can't check my team. Uh, but yeah, because you, you only have to do because you only have to do fantasy football on one or two days a week, and, right. and, and you, you check it Thursday morning and you're good to go. Anybody can play fantasy. You can make a dog play fantasy football, but baseball is vicious. You have to watch every second like a hawk. Yeah, like, I, you, I enjoy that. Yeah, like you got to check in the morning to see who the starting pitchers are, and then you got to check at seven oh one. Just to make sure Pitcher's that playing. yeah, <laughs> it's for. I mean, for people who have more important things to do, I understand. But my life revolves around nonsense, so this is a welcome addition uh, to my brain that's already filled with baseball stats that will never help me in my life. You know, it it does it does come out somewhere. Like it, it's useful somewhere. It does. You, it, it's a great party trick. But not with girls either. So it's, it's it's a great party trick to talk to guys. That's my that's my party trick. Yeah. So just one couple more before we let you go. Uh, we are, I'm going to go back to the Jets here. We we know who the opponents are. We know who they're playing at home. Other than the division games, those are the ones that everybody gets up for. What of the non-division games? Which one are you most looking forward to being at MetLife Stadium for? Because you are a season ticket holder. And I know you're at most of the games, so which which game are you really looking forward to? Yeah, oh, the non-division games? Yeah. At home? Let's see. Let's see the Jets schedule so I don't tell you the wrong games. Yeah, because I, I believe it's Jacksonville, Chicago, Baltimore, Detroit, yeah, and there's one more. The Jaguars. Oh, you said Jacksonville. Are they playing in the Vikings? Oh, the Bengals come back. You know what? Yeah. Honestly, I have a, I have a couple of buddies who are Bears fans who will probably be at that game, so I'll be excited. I, I've been really meaning to go to, I don't, I've never been to an away check game, um, which is stupid. So maybe I'll hit into Palambo this year. I, and see Rogers. And it's funny, I was actually thinking about going, was looking at that game too. We'll go meet our buddy Juan. Yeah. Up over there. And watch, um, watch, that'll be the game they send the, they finally send the package to London. Yeah, right. Yeah, they're, they're, they're having rumors of that. Woody will be happy. Um, I know, I, I thought the Seahawks were home, but they're away. That was in front of Boo Jamal. You know, obviously the Bengals would be fun, or, or the Ravens. You want to go see Joe Burrow or Lamar Jackson versus your guy. Like, if Zach Wilson has a great game, we're going to say, remember when Zach went toe-to-toe with, you know, Lamar Jackson, former MVP? It'll be fun to be at one of those games. I'm really looking forward uh, to having – just, I, I think this is what Jeff fans are forgetting. Because the Jets have started off so poorly the last four seasons, When if the Jets are 3-3, three and three, the intensity in a Week 7 game in MetLife, Jets-Bengals, will just be unbelievable. Even if it's a 1 o'clock game. But people just kind of forget about it because it's been so long since there's been meaningful football in MetLife after Week 1. You know, the Cowboys game comes to mind in 2018 with Darnold. Or 2019, excuse me. But the Jets were what, 0 and 1 and 4 at that point, 0 and 4. Yep. And then you win that game, so it's there just haven't been those exciting games. You've been looking on the schedule for hey, who's on the other team? Or, no, Brady's coming to town, blah blah blah. But this year is going to be different. There's going to be a week nine game where the Jets are 
four and four and playing the Bears and the crazy must win game that we're going to remember and talk about. I'm going to come on the show in ten years and we're going to discuss. Remember the in 2022 the Zach Wilson to Corey Davis to beat the Bears and then the Jets ended up you know whatever nine and eight. So I think some of that stuff's going to happen. I'm really looking. That's what I'm really looking forward to most from this season. Then back to some normalcy. That's for sure. Well, Mike, thank you so much for taking the time tonight. I I really do appreciate it. And you know, you got it. Do you have anything you want to plug before we let you go? Andy, you are the absolute man. You've been a great supporter of our podcast. I'm excited to be here on the radio show. You sound great thank on the radio. I've listened to some of your interviews before. Always having. I don't know where you get these these uh, NBA players and NFL guys and all these crazy people on the show all the time. So, but I just appreciate you having me on. The Jets are going to go 12 and 5 next year. We have top 10 offensive line in the league. They're going to draft Kayvon Thibodeau. Him and Carl Lawson are going to come back. The best one-two pass rushing punch the Jets have had maybe since the 80s. You want to go Sean Ellis and John Abraham. I'll take you back to Gaspino and Klecko. It's going to be unbelievable. The secondary is younger, but they're getting better. CJ Moses is going to dominate in the middle of the defense. The defensive line is top 10. You have Elijah Moore. You have Michael Carter. You have Zach Wilson. You got the tight end. This is an unbelievably young, cool, up-and-coming roster Joe Douglas put together. 12-5, and five, feeling good. Thank you very much for having me, buddy, and I will speak with you soon. All right, Mike, thank you. That was NYJ Mike from the Pro HS Progress. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, 80s and 90s NBA superstar Xavier McDaniel is going to join us, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. And we're back for the second half of WGBB Sports Talk New York here on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM here in New York. And I, I, I think I was talking to Mike earlier. April is one of my favorite. It is one of my favorite times of year. We have everything going on. The weather's starting to get better, and with that, we have we have the playoffs of two sports: the NBA, the NHL. We're going to talk some NBA playoffs with my next guest, uh, former Nick of the '90s, uh, NBA All Star Xavier McDaniel. Xavier, thank you for taking the time tonight. Oh, no problem. Watching the games, but no problem. Yeah, I'm sure you're sure you're very happy. Your Celtics beat the beat the Nets on a buzzer beater by Jason Tatum to go up one nothing in that series. Yeah, well, I got I got ties to both of them, but I probably got more loyalty to Boston than I do the Nets. So we're we're gonna we're gonna jump right into it. So you grew up in South okay. Carolina. You're gonna you grew up in South Carolina. What what drew you to basketball? Um. I don't know. 
I just know that I, I started playing baseball at an early age. I played baseball for probably nine, ten years old until uh, I was 18. But somewhere down the line, I just started getting tall. And uh, as I got tall, I more start more gravitating towards uh, basketball. Uh, a lot more, but I also played football all the way up until high school. I played uh, two years in high school. I, I just got tall. I mean, I went from 5'10 in eighth grade to 6'7 by the time I was a senior. So I grew really fast, and I, I just gravitated towards uh, basketball. I couldn't really say why because I, I really, really love baseball, and I really, really love football, but basketball – uh, as I like I said, as I just got tall, man, I just started really loving the game, especially a game of twenty-one. <laughs> <laughs> so then you you go you go to play college at Wichita State for Gene Smithson. Uh, you led the nation in points and rebounds in eighty-four, eighty-five. Are there any games from your time with the Shockers that really stand out to you? Yes, when we would play Tulsa University. Uh, we had, especially my senior year, we had just lost to them the week before, and they wind up winning the regular season championship over us because they beat us 2 0. That we win, uh, we would have won it, and we lost uh, Mike Arline, missed a free throw. So we had to go back there and play them again. And I just had an unbelievable game that game. And, uh, we wind up beating them to go to the NCAA. That would be one. I think my other game would have been against Bradley University. Uh, Dick Versace kept saying they was, um, 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 with my stats. They were inflating my stats. And I'm like, oh, we, you know, we, and I'm looking, reading it in the paper we just landed. I told Coach, I'm going to get 30 tonight. I'm going to get 30 rebounds. I had 16 at half, and they only gave me four in double overtime in the, in the second half plus double overtime. We went back and watched the tape, and I had like 28 rebounds. They, they cheated me out of like eight rebounds that game. But, you know, playing in the Missouri Valley was, was great. I really, really enjoyed it. And in eight. In 85, or, yeah, 85, you get drafted by the Seattle Supersonics, fourth overall, in a draft loaded with talent, including yourself, guys like Patrick Ewing, Chris Mullen, Carl Malone. When, right. when, when that, when the draft was coming up, was there a team that you looked, you looked at the draft list and you said, I would like to go to this team? Who was that team? Well, you know, when you're going through that draft process and a lot of kids are getting ready to go through it now, when I went through it in 1985, everybody knew Patrick Ewan was number one. Um, but there was a slight chance I could go to Indiana, but they said most, they just told me straight up, most likely we're going to have to take Wayne Matisse there. He was very, very, had a very, very three year stint, very herald as a player. And then there was Benoit Benjamin that's going to be third. I thought the Clippers were going to take me at three. But I, I knew that I probably would go to Seattle at four, but I knew if Seattle didn't take me at four, Stan Caston, the former GM for Atlanta, told me that they would take me at five. And so I knew I would be in that top five pick. And uh, 
when Seattle took me, man, I was just like, the weight was off. But to be very honest, in that draft, I knew Patrick would be number one. But in that draft, I thought that I was probably the most ready NBA player in that draft. Um, when you look at what I did my rookie year, Patrick got rookie of the year, but I felt like I should have got that rookie of the year. I felt like I played 82 games. He played 50. He still doesn't believe that even to this day, but you only played 50 games, which is nine games. If you were this another nine, you only played 50 games. I played all 82. I felt like I should have won that MVP. Uh, I mean, rookie of the year that year, but you know, big fella won it. What can I say? But I just felt like I was really ready because the style of play that we played at Wichita State was a pro-ready offense. And if people go back and look up my numbers, you can see my numbers was just as good as anybody in that draft those first four or five years in the NBA. And then I hurt my knee, and um, I kind of lost a little bit of my athletic ability and my little, little bit of my um, explosiveness. But I just felt like I was just about more ready than anybody in that draft. We're talking with Xavier McDaniel. So when you get to Seattle, they they have a team already right with forwards, guys like Jack Sigma, Seattle legend, and Tom Chambers, who right. like an '80s All Star. You know, they're there as the leaders of the team. Like, what did you what did you learn from them as a rookie joining the league? Well, when I got there, uh, Daniel Brange was the starting forward, and you know. They just needed me to jumpstart the Sonics again, the way they were in the late 70s, the way they were real good, fighting for titles and, and stuff. And Coach Wilkins just he told me to make them relevant. And, and that's what I tried to do. Uh, we, we started off a little tough, uh, 31 and 51, but we got better each year. We won 31 the first year, 39 the second year, 44. Three, I think the third year and 48 the fourth year and then we kind of went backwards again and I just thought because uh, when I'm looking at basketball if I'm starting the team and I got a Tom Chambers Xavier McDaniel Dell Ellis and those are my core players uh, I don't break that core up and what we did was we let Tom go for nothing they trade, they wind up putting me on the bench. Now you just got Dale in the lineup. And so, um, I just felt like we broke up our core players, uh, when we were improving every year. We also lost Alton Lister during that time also, where they traded him to Golden State. And now we have no center. So I think we lost our core players where we got Derek McKee and Olden Polonese in a draft. Man, you posted. That's when you're supposed to add to it. And I, I guess they were trying to insert some of the young guys, which I was still young at 26. Uh, so I, I just felt like they dropped the ball on there. We had a Gary Payton and, and stuff coming in. And, but by that time, me and Dell Ellis had got into it. So they, they really broke the team up. I got traded first, and then uh, he got traded because he was hurt. He got traded to, uh, I think, Milwaukee. So... Yeah. Before before we get to the trade, I just want to bring it up because it, it kind of I'll tie it into some pop culture. Like the, the HBO Max has the, the Lakers series going on right now, and in 1987, your Sonics based those Showtime Lakers. 
in the '87 right. Western Conference Finals. Like, how like does the show give do justice to how great those Laker teams were? Uh, I don't know if the show give them justice, but I know real life they got justice because I'm gonna be honest. Uh, we would always be close enough to beat them. We would play them, you know, six times back then, the way they had the schedule in your conference. And we would always get them two, but we could never get them three, or we could never beat them four. They were just that good. Uh, I just tweeted the other day, you know, wishing Kareem yesterday happy birthday, and, and I still can't believe it, even at this day, that we were doubling this guy at 42 years old. <laughs> And so, I mean, you think about it. You got big game James Worthy. You got Magic. You got Byron. You got Kareem. And you got AC. AC learned how to shoot that short jump shot from the elbow in the baseline if you double. Um, you got Kareem was just a great passer. I just felt like we you got to double that many people. It's, it's going to be hard for you to win. And, and uh, they were, I mean, they were always kick our tails. Uh, you know, four nothing in eighty seven and four nothing and I think that was eighty nine, uh when we finished fourth in the Western Conference that year. But we just we just couldn't get past the Lakers out west. You know. They were they were tough. I, they were really, really good. I mean think about it. You got Kareem Hall of Famer, Magic Hall of Famer, you got uh Worthy Hall of Famer, and you got borderline uh Michael Cooper you got borderline um, Byron Scott that possibly could be Hall of Famer someday. Um, you know, they turn around and get a number one draft pick with Michael Thompson in a 87, I think it was, 87, 88 season, I think it was, right the year before Kareem retired. So, I mean, you got four number ones on that team. So, I, I mean, to be honest, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I may be surprised to some of the things that go on because I actually wasn't there. Well, I can sit here in real life and say, yeah, they were really fucking good. Uh, we're talking with Xavier McDaniel. So after five and a half seasons with the Sonics and half a season in Phoenix, you get traded to the East Coast, wind up with the Knicks, playing for the Showtime Laker coach, Pat Riley. The Knicks are starting, right. the Knicks are starting their rise. You know, what, what was your impressions of that, that Knicks team with Riley, Ewing, Oakley, Mason, etc.? To be honest, I thought we had one of the better front lines in basketball. You know, you got Patrick, dominant center. You got Miz, uh, all-star. You got Oakley, one of the toughest guys you're going to ever have to deal with. Um, you got Gerald Wilkins. There are how many people at the two-guard were more athletic than him outside of Michael Jordan. Um, then you got Starks coming off the bench. And then you got Action Jackson. I mean... I just felt like they kept us together. I felt like we could have done something special. I, I, I could see us getting over that edge, um, the way we played during the regular season and during the playoffs, and to get back to the regular season. I think if I didn't have a contract problem or a contract issue coming up with them because everybody knew that I had that contract when I got traded from Phoenix. Uh, I turned down a six-year deal with Phoenix, and uh, I just thought New York was going to take care of me, but they didn't. And um, I, I, I just wish that I would like to see what we could have done 
92, 93, 93, 94, at least two years. You know, we look at Detroit going through stuff with Boston, took them a couple of years to get over the hump. Now you got, you got the new bad boys with the, the net, the Knicks with me, Oakland, and Pat and all of us. And I just felt like, you know, they should have kept that, that core together. We could, you can only dream and imagine what we probably could have do because if I signed a contract, I think I play a lot better. You know, I went from playing 33 minutes a game the first part of the season when I bought my contract out, then I started playing about 18 minutes a game, you know. And so um, I just wish they would have kept us together. And and in that season, you, you play the Bulls in the playoffs and – you know, there's the clip of you going at it with Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan. I think it's a, a part of that 90s, you know, hard-nosed basketball that Knicks fans especially came to love and was indicative of, of what the NBA was in the 90s, where it was that, like, that hard play and those 82-77 games that got down and dirty. You know, what like, do, do you think that that moment really endeared yourself to two Knicks fans when you went up to Scotty and, and Michael to defend your teammates? Well, yeah. Well, I mean, think about it. When you in New York, it's the city of hustle. It's the city of hard work, get down and dirty. And telling that team, we, 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 we were, we were basically, uh, blueprints of, of, of what, what New York was about. If you, you know, working hard, getting after it. And, and when you get out there, man, those fans get loud. So yes, I, I just think that we were, we were, we were made for that team. I was made for that team. And I, uh, I mean, I don't regret going to Boston, uh, because I mean, I felt like if, you know, New York was going to take care of me, they had January, I mean, I'm July to take care of me. They had, uh, August. I didn't sign in September two months after that. They were never going to take care of me. But, I mean, I, I like I said, I just wish that we could have ran that back. I really did. At least at least put us together for two to three years, you know. Uh, that was a, whew. I mean, you take Patrick out and you bring Mason and you got me in Oakland. I mean, I mean, who want to walk down that dark alley? <laughs> With all three of us, well, thank you. And then you got the maniac John Stark, my man. So you know Stark is very feisty too. So I mean, shit, man. I, I just felt like I just wish they would have kept that core together. Do you, do you still talk to any of the players from that from that team? I talk with Patrick occasionally, and I just recently was in New York, and I, I was uh, went to a game talking with Starks. Uh, at the game, so back at the end, of, I went there playing Philadelphia 27th, I think, on a Sunday. So I was I was there for that game. And then after the Knicks, you go to Boston. You know, when when you're when you think of the Boston Celtics, you think of like all the history that comes with that. And like you're you're there on on the heels of guys like Bill Russell, Larry Bird. Right. You know, the Celtics are coming off their their run of the 80s. You know, what, what was it? What 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 did you get from playing at the Boston Garden in those let those last years of the building and playing, you know, in the company of those legends? It was great. 
I mean, playing in Boston, I hear a lot of negative things. But I only got positive things to say Boston. Still got friends up there. Uh, still talk with with, with, with uh, some people in the front office. Uh, I, I never had an issue, man. I love playing. I just wish that even with them, uh, we finished what? We won 51 games that year. And I was a starter. We were struggling. Chris Ford asked me to go to the bench, and it worked. Uh, let's just switch it up. At, and I was like, okay, I'm down for whatever we can do to, to try to turn this around. And, man, we made a run. I think I think New York won 55 games that year, something like that, 92-93 season, uh, 56. And we won 51. We finished second behind them. But, you know, Reggie Lewis dies. And so now we, we struggle the next year, and then we get Dominique and Purvis Ellison and some couple guys along with myself and Sherman. And uh, we make the playoffs in, in uh, 95. So uh, it didn't turn out the way I wanted to, but I, I had some great experience in Boston. And, so, and we had some great basketball, some great excitement up there. So now, now that you, you you retire as an active player in '98 after a couple seasons with the Nets and a season in Greece, and right. you, know, you you as you watch the game being played in 2022, like how different does it seem from when when you played? It's, it's way different. I mean, the object of the game is the same, putting it in it, but the three point is more relevant today than it was in my time. We had guys that could shoot it. But, you know, like a guy like I played with Dale Ellis, he was a guy that may take three or four shots a game unless he was, like, on fire, then maybe he may have 10 or 12. But um, the game is the game is jump shots right now. It's, it's, it's shoot the three. I mean, analytics, it doesn't, you know, don't always tell the truth. But numbers, numbers don't always add up the way they say it because if you're up, and we're going to go back a few years, when Houston had the Golden State Warriors, if they would have took some twos instead of shooting the threes, they would have went to the NBA Finals. They had they had Golden State, but because they live by the three, they died by the three. And I just think if they would have took some twos, uh, they they probably would have won that series. You can't outshoot a Steph Curry or Clay Thompson, not unless you got a Dale Ellis and a Larry Bird shooting on the other end. That's that, true. That's going to be tough, you know. Those guys can really, really shoot. So, uh, and I think that's one of the bigger difference. It just is not as physical as it was uh, when I played. And, and, and I don't blame the NBA. I wish they would have done this maybe earlier, you know, with the way the Pistons play and the way probably we play. You know, uh, you can go to the camera. And you can eject the guy out even after a play guy got hurt. And you go look, and they done went down, and then it's a timeout. You know, you can get ejected for for for, for an elbow. Uh, so there were some dirty guys in, in the league. You know, I think Dennis Rodman one of the most dirtiest guys that ever played a game. And I, I didn't like him then, and I don't even like him now because, you know, some of the shit he did. You would never do that in, in street. You go to New York and try that shit on the street ball. And see what happens, but because of the officials and the NBA allow certain teams to do that, uh, you know, guys got hurt really bad. 
Yeah, we're talking. We're talking with Xavier McDaniel. Uh, who who do you like in the playoffs this season? Who do you think's gonna Who do you think's gonna win the championship? Uh, I think Phoenix got a great chance. I think Milwaukee got a great chance. I think anybody got a great a great chance if they're they're playing well. Uh, but I think right now out west, I'm looking at Phoenix, and you know, uh, I just tweeted, you know, good luck to Jason Tatum uh, and the Celtics, but. You know, Miami going to be a, a team to be reckoned with. I mean, they play really, really well today. Uh, but, you know, it's only game one. You know, I remember being against Dallas, the number seven seed, and we beat Dallas, what, 30-some years ago and almost beat Denver when we was a seven seed uh, with Denver. We played against my hometown guy, Alex English. So anything's possible, but. I, I see it, uh, definitely, definitely Phoenix or Golden State coming out west and maybe, uh, 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 Miami, Milwaukee, all the Celtics coming out the east. And I just got one more for you before I let you go. Uh, you know, what, what, what are you up to now these days? Well, right now, I'm in Columbia, South Carolina. I'm not doing a whole lot. I was doing some construction. I sold my rentals that I had uh, two years ago. So right now I'm just kind of in between what I'm trying to figure out right now. Uh, besides doing the interview with you, trying to watch this Phoenix and do all this game at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I don't, I don't want to keep you too much longer than that. So I want to just... Oh, I want to I, I want to thank you for taking the time tonight. I really, I really do appreciate it. And welcome to Twitter. All right. Thank you. And... Uh, at any time, man, you have a number. Just, uh, just, just, just shoot me a text. Let me know. All right, that was Xavier. Right. Mc, that was Xavier McDaniel. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Xman McDaniel. You know, Twitter can all, always want to get people followers. That's just about gonna wrap it up for me tonight. Because uh, I do it. Because I do it every. Every show, I I got to shout out my New York Rangers. Clint's a playoff spot. They're tied for the division lead. I would love to see them win the division. Playoffs are coming up starting May 2nd. I think they can make a good run here. I'm ready for that. It's been five long years since they made the playoffs. And playoff hockey at Madison Square Garden is one of the craziest things that I've ever seen on TV. I'm ready, I'm ready for it this year to see it in hopefully in the flesh now that People are allowed at arenas again, and they have a team that can actually win the Cup this year. The Eastern Conference is a gauntlet, especially with when you have Carolina and Florida, but I do have the utmost confidence in that team. All right, that's going to do it for me. i got to thank NYJ Mike from the Broadway Jets. i got to thank Xavier McDaniel, of course, Brian behind the glass, and all you. You can hit me up on Twitter at Andy underscore Sukov. If you have any questions or you want to just go on and shoot the breeze with me sports-wise or anything else, get at me. I'll be back soon. Until then, enjoy. The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. This is WGBB AM 1240 and W240 DF FM 95.9 Freeport, New York.